0: This episode of Weekly Tech is sponsored by The Good Book Company. You can check out their new Talking Point series book on abortion at thegoodbook.com and learn more about how Christians can think biblically, speak wisely, and act compassionately on the complex issue of abortion. Hello, and welcome to Weekly Tech, a new technology podcast focused on navigating this digital age with wisdom. Each Monday, we dive into the most pressing and talked about technology stories in order to keep you up to date and prepared for your week ahead. Weekly Tech is brought to you by the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and I'm your host, Jason Thacker. Alongside this podcast each Monday morning, you can receive the Weekly Tech newsletter directly in your inbox that's full of links and the story for the week. You can sign up to receive this briefing each Monday morning at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. And as always, all of the links that we talk about will be available in the show notes. This week's big story comes from a piece that I wrote for the Gospel Coalition about personal privacy in the midst of a pandemic. While in the middle of a pandemic, we've experienced a lot of different ethical questions as the church and as Christians. We're faced with questions about isolating from one another and risking this economic downturn that we're in. And if we're honest, it really does affect the poor and the vulnerable more so than it does other folks. But also it protects the elderly and the high risk. Or do we risk public health by keeping the economy open? Among all of these different ethical questions, one that is kind of rising to the forefront in a lot of people's minds is the debate over personal privacy and public health. Do we give up our sense of personal privacy to fight this virus, or do we protect our privacy and possibly extend this viral pandemic that's affecting our communities and our health? Often these debates over personal privacy come down to data collection. For example, when is the last time that you Googled something about being sick? Maybe a specific symptom, or if you should stay at home if you're sick, Maybe are you too sick to go out or are you still contagious? If we're honest, we Google everything. And these are types of data pieces that are collected every single day. And our lives are full of various pieces of technology that are collecting data on us every single day. We live in a smart world where we have smart devices like scales and wearables and appliances and even our phones that constantly track our location. The benefits of these tools are amazing, especially in light of a pandemic where so much of this data can be used to help detect the spread of the virus or detect various hotspots of activity, which helps our public health officials to navigate a lot of these difficult issues and to protect the vulnerable communities among us. Data makes our lives so much easier and it makes it so much more convenient. But what potential cost do we have with this rising use of technology? There are many who are calling for more and more data collection and tracking from Bluetooth contract tracing like we've seen with the recent partnership between Apple and Google to digital health records, testing results, location data, and more. It is correct that there can be massive benefits to society with all of these various data pieces being collected, analyzed, and centralized. But with the call for more and more data collection and less and less privacy, would you be comfortable with your web searches, facial data, medical records, personal fitness information, or even your refrigerator collecting data on you, being fed into a central AI system if it meant that we could predict diseases like COVID-19 before they spread? But what about privacy? Is privacy more of a biblical idea or more of a Western democratic type of idea? The Christian moral tradition grounds our decision-making in something greater than the public mood or often the abstract notions of human rights and privacy. The Bible frames these questions in terms of human dignity, grounded in the idea that all human beings are created in God's image, as we read about in Genesis 1, 26-28. This imago Dei, or the image of God, it sets us apart from the rest of creation, and it bestows on us a sense of dignity and privacy. Personal privacy is not some ambiguous right or simply something derived from a democratic philosophy, but rather something that God bestows on each of us as his image bearers in this broken world. Throughout the scripture, we read about this interior life, this interior life of the believer, often about the hidden place of our relationship with God. We see this early on in the book of Genesis where Adam and Eve sought to hide from God because of their relationship with Him was broken by their sin and rebellion, yet God still knew them and He knew everything about them. Later on in Scripture, we see that humanity seeks to take advantage of one another and breaks this bond of trust and connection as early as Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel. But throughout the Bible, we see that God is described as all-knowing and all-loving. But when humans try to become like God in the sense of taking the place of God to be all-knowing, often without the love and the sacrifice that God perfectly demonstrates, it leads to trouble. From server breaches to the malicious use of data for discriminatory purposes, even to the plays for complete control over the powerless, there are huge potentials for data collection to wreak havoc on human flourishing. We often see this with the rise of totalitarian or authoritarian regimes like that of China, where every moment of someone's day is being tracked and analyzed and stored, often accessible by government authorities. This type of tracking is disproportionately affecting certain minorities, especially religious minorities within China, especially the rights of Uyghur Muslims that are often having their rights and privacy completely trampled upon by the government. In this age of AI and big tech, we'll naturally see a lot of folks give over their personal privacy or think that privacy is just a thing of the past in light of modern technologies and data collection. Often, we'll give up so much of our privacy in the name of the public good. But there must be a balance. True, we often give up some sort of privacy to use various technologies, but that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be clear lines and also ethical guidelines for how that data is used and who's able to access it. And just because we can know something or use this data in the name of some public good, that doesn't mean that we should override someone's dignity to obtain their private information. Nor does it mean that governments and private companies can be trusted to fully honor our dignity as human beings created in God's image and protect the data that they've collected on us over the years. Data collection on such a mass scale will yield immense power that can be easily abused and misused when concentrated into the hands of the few. The challenge for us as a society is to balance the benefits of these tools, even with their dehumanizing potential, for the dignity and the sake of all of our neighbors as created in God's image. The challenge for us as a society is to balance the benefits of these tools, even with their dehumanizing potential or privacy-violating potential, to use these tools for the dignity of our neighbors and the public good. We must each carefully consider then how chipping away our privacy for the sake of what might seem as a greater good, however we define it, does set a precedent for justifying future encroachments and future undermining of human dignity. If you want to read this full article or anything else we talk about here on Weekly Tech, you can check out the show notes or visit JasonThacker.com podcast for more. Each week on Weekly Tech, we have what we call the rundown, which is four to five different technology stories that we should be aware of as we prepare for our week ahead. First up is a story from The Morning Brew, where Twitter has announced a new blanket work-from-home policy, which signals a massive shift within the tech community. This is going to be interesting to keep an eye on as other companies may follow suit. Next up is a story in New York Magazine, where Scott Galloway talks about the future of education post-pandemic. With all of the various post-pandemic predictions about what life will be like after this pandemic, we need to take a lot of these different types of predictions with a grain of salt. But the shifts are really interesting to see, especially in light of education practices. This week, I'm even taking a remote doctoral seminar where I'm talking a lot about these contemporary issues. While some colleges and universities have plans to open this fall, others are still debating if they're going to have the fall semester online, maybe even extending into the spring. This will have a massive economic and student life impact on the nature of education, as well as to the quality and the type of education that students receive. In this story in New York Magazine, Scott Galloway, who's a tech veteran who teaches at Newark University, predicts that a handful of elite universities will soon monopolize higher education because a lot of smaller colleges and universities are going to have a hard time keeping up with a lot of the modern technology needed to have these courses online. Next is a story from Gizmodo about how our smartwatches might help to detect COVID-19. There are a lot of interesting stories on these wearable devices that many people use and depend on each day. In this story for Gizmodo, Victoria Song writes about the many uses of smartwatches in health tracking, such as tracking our respirations and heart rates and more. While there are massive potential here about helping to slow the spread of disease and detecting viruses like COVID-19, the tech is honestly just a ways away from being really useful in the midst of this pandemic. But I think that this will be coming a lot sooner than we think. Next is a story from Axios about how Snapchat is prepping younger users to vote in this upcoming November election. In case you forgot about it in the midst of this pandemic, we still have a monumental general election coming in November, and Snapchat is working to get younger users registered to vote ahead of the election. The company so far has been able to successfully register 450,000 people through its app in the 2018 midterm elections, and the data is showing that 50% of those who registered actually went out and casted ballots. There have been similar moves made by Facebook and Twitter to get people, especially younger people, to register to vote and out to the ballot box. This is a good reminder for us about the power and the use of technology in our lives, even in encouraging people to go out and vote. The last story in the rundown this week comes from the Wall Street Journal about how hospitals are deploying technology to reduce the staff's exposure to COVID-19, especially in units like the ICU. A recent survey by the Center for Disease Control found that more than 9,000 healthcare workers have contracted COVID-19 in this season. Hospitals around the country are beginning to use tech in this fight to slow the spread of the disease and then also to protect their workers. For example, Houston Medical Hospital in Texas is now using high-resolution cameras and machine learning algorithms to create a so-called clinical command center. Other hospitals like Brigham and Women's Hospital have now begun to bring in robots that help to reduce staff exposure to the virus, like the four-legged Boston Dynamic robots that look like dogs, into the emergency rooms in order to assess patients believed to have less severe cases of COVID-19. And with the rise of telemedicine, it will be interesting to see how this pandemic continues to shift the use of technology in the medical industry. Well, that's it for this week. I want to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app and to share these episodes with friends and colleagues. You can always find show notes as well as the email newsletter version of this podcast at jasonthacker.com slash podcast. Also, if there's a story you think we need to cover or share, please email us at weeklytech at erlc.com. See you next Monday.